The Thomas fire started December 4th, 2017. I remember getting to the top of the ridge up on uh, West Camino Cielo and looking east and just seeing a wall of smoke approaching Santa Barbara. Burn your eyes, burns your throat, ash falling like snow. And it grew and it just kept growing. I'm Austin Reba. I'm a software engineer and mountain biker in Santa Barbara, California. I had realized probably mid-December that the trails were gone. After the initial burn and the debris flow, you know, it became obvious to us that we had our work ahead of us. Welcome to Athletes Unfiltered, inspiring stories from the Strava community told by the runners and cyclists who lived them. I'm your host, Hilary Allen, and this episode we're talking about perseverance, that drive we have to keep going, no matter how big the challenge in front of us may seem. As athletes, we know that there's always more work ahead of us. We constantly push ourselves to run further and ride longer, to keep our heads up and focus on the road ahead. But life isn't always easy, and sometimes it can feel like we're running or riding in circles, yet we pull on our sneakers and hop on our bikes each day. We don't give up. On today's show, we'll hear from three athletes who've shown incredible perseverance in the face of impossible challenges. Whether it's rebuilding after devastating floods and fires, confronting decades-old demons, or fighting through life-threatening setbacks, these folks have kept going. These are stories of community, strength, failure, determination, and one really, really big fire. We're going to hear more from Austin Reba later in the show, but first I want to introduce you to Rebecca Rado. If you asked her today, Rebecca would describe herself as a runner, but this definitely wasn't always the case. In fact, for most of her life, she struggled with her body image and spent a lot of time doing her best to avoid exercise altogether. I wasn't an athletic kid. I avoided going outside. I mostly wanted to sit in my room and read. Um, in high school, I ended up joining the color guard as part of the marching band so that I could get out of taking a second year of PE. When I was 15, I developed an eating disorder. Um, mostly, uh, I was bulimic. I was going through puberty, and I felt that I, I didn't like the, all the changes that my body had gone through, and I'd always been so skinny, and then felt like overnight I wasn't. In retrospect, I had a pretty warped sense of what my body actually looked like. My body, it felt like overnight it became the enemy, and I had to punish it for these faults that I perceived that it had. Anxiety and depression followed Rebecca throughout high school and college. Still, as she got a little older, her life seemed like it was moving along a pretty traditional path. She graduated, she started working, she found love, and she eventually got married. Her life felt gray, and things weren't always easy, but she managed to keep things together. But eventually, that started to get harder. Like many of us who have dealt with anxiety and depression— Rebecca knew that something had to change, but she couldn't quite put her finger on what to do or where to start. 
For someone who had gone out of her way to ditch gym class, Rebecca's life took an unlikely turn. One day, my husband came home and said, I'm going to go for a run. My guilt kicked in and I said, fine, I'll go with you. Within the first few steps, I was thinking, why am I doing this? Why did I volunteer to go with him? This is horrible. Rebecca was sweating. Her legs were killing her. She walked more than she ran. And yet, when her husband asked her if she wanted to go out again the next day, she said yes. So they kept running. They kept at it every day. And then her husband asked if she wanted to sign up for a half marathon. And Rebecca said yes. So we started training for this half marathon and one mile became two miles and three miles and four miles. And some days I started to think, oh, this is kind of fun. And other days I just thought, why did I sign up for this race and pay this money? And well, we've got to do it now. And then we ran that first half marathon. And by mile 10, it was like, this is the hardest thing that I've ever done. I have everything hurts. I'm so tired. And then I finished. And I just thought, when can I do this again? I spent so much of my life not treating my body very well and beating myself up about what I thought my body should look like. Running helps me celebrate everything my body can accomplish instead of beating it up for the things that I've been told that I, or that I think that it should be. For Rebecca, it was this feeling of total strength, empowerment, and ownership of her body that fueled her to stick with something she once dreaded, once feared. Running also connected her with new communities. She made new friends in her daily life and new friends online. For the first time, she truly felt like a part of something bigger than herself something bigger than the burden she'd been carrying for all these years. This new perspective on herself propelled Rebecca to do something she never thought she could do, to speak publicly for the first time about something that had sat in silence at the heart of her anxiety and depression. Kelly Roberts, the running blogger behind the site She Can and She Did, had put out a call to her readers, asking for them to submit letters written to their younger selves and Rebecca decided to write one. I got home from work and it had been a tough day because that day is always tough. And I sat down at my computer and 30 minutes, it just came like rushing out of me. And I wrote this letter right up through it once, didn't even edit it and sent it off to her. Here's how Rebecca's letter begins. It's been eight years today. Eight years since your life turned upside down and everything changed. Right now, you're sitting in a hospital, coming to terms with being assaulted by someone you considered a close friend. At least for right now, you will only call it assault. As you begin to find your voice again, you will call it what it was. It is rape. Rebecca submitted her letter, and about a week later, she was scrolling through Facebook and saw a new post from Kelly Roberts. She began reading it, and suddenly, her heart started pounding. Hold on, she said. That's my letter. So it kind of, it had taken me by surprise to see it out there. I did kind of, you know, 
put this out into the world and didn't think anyone was ever going to see it. I kind of left that part of me behind and tried to just, it, you know, even now thinking about it, it feels like it happened to a different person in a different lifetime. The responses I got, um, it definitely made me feel like it was worth it. A lot of people found me on Instagram and they were sending me messages and just support all every everything I got every all the feedback I got was positive it really felt great to have that out there and to to know that maybe this could help somebody else who's going through the same thing and who's in the middle of it then it's worth it for me to talk about the hard stuff it's been a year since Rebecca's letter was published and doing so has helped to give her a new perspective on herself, the obstacles she's had to overcome, and the obstacles she still faces. And that's a huge, positive change. Rebecca sees the path ahead of her, and she's doing her best to keep moving forward. And now she knows that there's going to be a community of runners beside her for every step of her journey. I struggle with anxiety, but at a race, I feel like I can go up to someone and be like, hey, I'm kind of struggling and we seem to be running the same pace. So can we run together? And I've made friends that way and run entire races with them and still keep in contact with them. As women, you know, we bond with over the shared experience of defining what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a runner. And we create this community that says, no, you, you can't tell me what my body's supposed to look like. You can't tell me how I'm supposed to dress or how I'm supposed to act. Rebecca's glad to have put this story out there. And she's grateful to have found this incredible support. But there are still days when things are tough. I've gotten more comfortable talking about it. Um, but in some ways, that's made it harder. Sometimes it feels much more fresh because I feel that I've been more open about it. And some days I have more nightmares and more anxiety. I'm finally uh, working on going to therapy so that I, which I had no interest in doing a year ago because I kept saying, oh, I'm fine. And just trying to brush things under the rug and pretend like I'm over it. But I had to accept I'm not. And that's okay too. There's no time limit on how long this is going to take. But I won't regret putting that story out there. I will keep talking about running and talking about body image and strength. And those things will define me, not something that happened so long ago. Here's how Rebecca ended the letter she wrote to her younger self. You can survive this. You will survive this. It may never fully stop hurting. But there is a wonderful and exciting life waiting for you on the other side. Keep going. On today's episode, we're hearing stories about perseverance in the face of incredible challenges. For Rebecca Ratto, that means confronting personal demons and trauma. But for Austin Reba, perseverance means looking at a forest devastated by record fires and floods, and knowing that you can rebuild what was lost. In this case, what Austin and his community lost was an entire network of trails around Santa Barbara that had taken decades to build in the first place. 
so the forest was closed for quite a while after the fires and the debris flow, but the roads kind of opened shortly thereafter. And I remember just doing a road ride and looking over the landscape and what used to be kind of green chaparral was now just brown, just dirt boulder fields with like these streaks running down from the water. This probably doesn't need to be said, but rebuilding mountain bike trails is no easy feat. Trails are complicated. They take years to plan and structure, plus hours and hours of physical labor to clear the land and bring them to life. And in a place like Santa Barbara, they're constantly threatened by natural disasters. The worry of having to start over is real, and it's always there. So why rebuild the trails at all? There's a lot of people that enjoy them, not just your friends and fellow mountain bikers, but, uh, you know, hikers and runners and dog walkers and everybody. So people miss them. You know, that's part of the culture in Santa Barbara is really like outdoor focused. The street that I grew up on wasn't paved, it was dirt. So when it became time for me to get my first bike, uh, my parents got me a mountain bike. Me and my friends would kind of ride around town, you know, take the 50 cents we earned from mowing lawns and ride down to the, the candy store, stuff like that. My dad had an old, like, uh, 80s Ritchie, one of the original mountain bikes, and he used to take me mountain biking when I was a kid. We'd go down to, like, Santa Cruz, uh, some really good trails down there, um, practice there, and he'd ride with me around Half Moon Bay a little bit. For Austin, it's these memories, these moments throughout childhood and early adulthood that cemented his love of riding and love of the trails. And Austin isn't alone in his appreciation and his devotion to this community resource. Well, I mean, we're mountain bikers here. If we don't have any trails to ride, then it's kind of hard to be a mountain biker. We have that mentality here, um, especially with wildfires, that they happen, they come in, they destroy things, and then you rebuild. After the Thomas fire, Santa Barbara saw a record number of volunteers show up for the trail work. As Austin describes it, the rebuild was on everyone's mind. It was what everyone was talking about. But again, the task at hand was not small, and it wasn't cheap either. When it became clear that it was going to be an expensive project to rebuild all these trails, I was kind of thinking, well, how could we raise more money for Santa Barbara? You know, a lot of the people that are out riding are using Strava which records where and when you're riding. So why not make it super easy for these people that are, you know, making it known that they're riding in a specific area to give back to the people that make it possible to ride there in the first place. An engineer by trade, Austin set out to design a system that made it easy for people to make small donations when they were detected on a trail. He created TrailCare the app that allows you to check your ride against a database of trail organizations and give money where it's needed most. The donation amount you get to set, it's like a cents per mile setting. So if you rode four miles on local trails, you could donate $1. Uh, so that's it. It's really it's quite simple. Now it's working for, I think, about 25 organizations around the U.S. It's no longer a Santa Barbara-only app. For Austin, the desire to give back, something that stemmed from a lifelong love of local trails, grew into something much bigger. 
something that can be used in the future, across the country, if and when the next disaster strikes. It never occurred to me that trails could disappear overnight until recently. Uh, that's another really great thing about trail work is you realize, you know, they don't exist for free. When you work on them, it just gives you a new appreciation for the ones that do exist. I know they're going to be back. We just have to work for it. It's, um, I don't know, there's just kind of like this frontier attitude, I guess, of, yeah, the fires come and it sucks, but you always rebuild after. That was Austin Reba, a cyclist from Santa Barbara and the creator of Trail Care. We're going to end this week's show with the final story of perseverance. This one comes from an athlete who's continued to move forward in the face of three physical challenges that might have prompted other athletes to just give up. My name is Steve Johnson. I'm 50 years old. I'm from Miami, Oklahoma, and I'm a disabled veteran and cancer survivor. Steve was a natural athlete growing up. The kind of kid who could outrun you, whip you at basketball or football, and the guy who'd leave you in the dust when you rode bikes together. Sports were always a part of Steve's life. He dreamed of becoming a professional athlete, basketball or football probably, but athletics also provided an escape from his day-to-day -day life. Growing up in my house was not, wasn't perfect. It was a pretty tough life growing up. My mom and dad were, had a lot of differences. So they, when I was 11, they, they divorced and uh, I live with my mother most, you know, I've, and I've seen my father on the weekends and stuff. My dad was an angry person and uh, he, he would, there, he would get angry, mad at me and there was nothing I could do back. So I, I would go outside and I would be mad at my dad and I would go ride a couple miles and forget about it and come home and start over, you know what I mean? Because that's, it would just put me in a different place, get out my aggressions, get out whatever was bothering me. So Steve decided it was time to get away from his home life and to get out of California altogether. I was having problems at home with my with my dad, and we just didn't get along at all. And uh, one day I said, you know, I'm getting out of here. I'm joining the Army. And I didn't really know much about it. Uh, I just knew that that was a way to see the world and to get some college money. So Steve headed off to the Army. And he excelled. His natural athleticism meant that drills came easy to him. He made friends. He was praised by his supervisors. His desire to exceed expectations and show everyone what he was made of put him on a path to a very successful Army career. And then, just before turning 21, something went wrong. I started having some pain in my shoulders and my arms. It was like a burning sensation. And uh, I couldn't sleep for about three weeks straight. I'd kept, I would fall asleep for 10 minutes, and I would wake up, and both my arms and hands would just be on fire. And I would spend the rest of the night tossing and turning. And um, I just... I just had enough of it. I couldn't take it no more. So I went to the doctor and they told me I, they thought I pinched a nerve or something like that and started sending me to specialists. And I come to find out I had rheumatoid arthritis and that, in effect, ended my Army career right there. And I was told that by the time I'm 40, I'll probably need assisted living or a wheelchair or some kind of uh, device to help me walk and get around and that that was my future. That there's no good comes from rheumatoid arthritis. It just gets worse and worse and worse until it, you know, until it's over. So Steve failed his next physical exam, which meant he was out of the army. What started as a wonderful adventure, it was now over. 
I, I left California because I was going to see the world and stuff. And now I was back in California in this little town and without very much opportunity and nothing had changed. <laughs> my dad was the same. My neighbors were the same. My bike was the same. So Steve got a job, pulled his bike down from the rafters and rode it 11 miles to work and 11 miles back to his father's house every day. But pretty soon, Steve learned just how fleeting that feeling of freedom can be. I did construction, and I could work all week long, but then the weekend I'd pay for it. My arthritis would act up so bad that I couldn't even bend my fingers. or I couldn't even put on my shoes. So I did that for as long as I could, um, and it was, it was a struggle. You know, I'm not going to lie about that. It was a struggle. I remember I had to sell the bicycle to pay my rent, and uh, I sold it to my brother, and he gave me $200 for it, and it was stolen the next day. So, uh, God, I'm probably, I'm, I'm, I almost want to cry over that. I, I'm, I'm not over it yet. <laughs> and that was, that was 20-something years ago. That was something I had worked for. It was the first thing I'd really bought that was expensive for myself. And uh, I had to let it go. I was really starting to feel the effects of the arthritis at that time in my life, but the most important thing with rheumatoid arthritis is to keep moving forward. To keep you, if you, if you're idle, that's when it'll take over your body. If you don't lay idle and you don't let it take over, then it can't. So that's what it, you, the, my my whole thing on fighting it is to keep moving and keep moving forward and try and keep active. So Steve had this recognition: if he didn't want to be defined by his diagnosis, if he wanted to live a full life. He needed to do one thing, get back on his bike. I immediately got me something else that was a junky bike, and I, I fixed it up. It was probably more satisfying than my other bike because I just paid for it off the shelf. I've always used bicycling as a way to, to stop thinking about stuff. You know, when you go out and do a few miles, you, you can kind of think about what you're doing in the moment instead of what has been happening in your life. So I've always used it that way, and that bike helped do that too. Steve is back. He's back on his bike. His life was going great again. He got out of his father's house. He got financial assistance from the VA. Things were going so good. He even called up his high school girlfriend, the one he took around on the handlebars of his bicycle, and he asked her to marry him. And she said yes. But just as everything is going great, just as Steve is finally turning that corner, life throws another challenge his way. I thought I was having a heart attack. I kept having this burn in my chest, and I was like, man, i got to go to the hospital, and I'm not one per- a person to go to the ER. They told me I just had a bad case of uh, indigestion, and I've never had heartburn or anything like that in my life. And uh, I came home, and it just wouldn't go away, but they sent me home with this heartburn medicine, and uh, I was sitting here you know, waiting for it to go away, and it wasn't going away, it wasn't going away, and a couple days went by, the, my phone rang, and it was the VA. When I walked in, I know the, the nurse practitioner, I know her pretty good, and I walked in and she had tears in her eyes. Steve was diagnosed with stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma. And to make matters worse, doctors told him this could have been caused by the medication he was taking for his arthritis. It didn't look good. Man, they told me that it was over, basically, and uh, 
they gave me a box of Kleenex and let us out the back door and I got in my truck and drove home. And I remember it was a pretty silent drive all the way home until I got home. I went in the house and it hit me as soon as I walked in the house and started seeing all my stuff is uh, that I was going to miss everything. And I was, uh, it was, uh, life was too short. So it hit me pretty hard. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I just stood there. I remember I just stood there. I heard my mom, I heard what my mom would tell me. She'd say, knock it off. <laughs> exactly what my mom would say. Losing your career and having your future options limited because of a condition like arthritis, that's bad enough. But learning that the treatment could have given you cancer, it's horrible. It's unimaginable. It's more than most of us could handle. Now let's be clear. Steve wasn't sure he could handle it. But he knew one thing. Even if the disease was going to take his life, he wasn't going to let it keep him off a bike. If you've done one round of chemo or have watched someone go through it, you know it's horrible. It weakens you. It strips you of all of your energy. Well, Steve, he went through 12. And he kept riding through all of them. It's like the one thing I had control of, you know what I mean? I didn't have control of what, if it broke down or whatever, but I could always, I could always uh, fix it, you know? And it was kind of, a, I mean, that's a pretty good metaphor, I guess, for life. <laughs> Bicycles are a good metaphor for life, you know? They, you ride them until they break down, and then you fix it. Steve was declared cancer-free, and he finally felt like he could breathe again. And I felt this feeling over me like, it's over right now. This is going to be a history to me. You know, it's going to be something I talk about, not something that other people talk about, how cancer got me. I'm going to be able to talk about how I got it. And I'm going down to buy me a brand new mountain bike right after this, so let's get this done. <laughs> That's all I could think about. <laughs> I'm getting me a new mountain bike right now. There are bike shops right down the street, so that was my gift to myself. Steve was doing good. He was managing his life with rheumatoid arthritis. He'd survived cancer. But there was still one more setback waiting in the wings. And this one seemed bigger than the rest. Because it threatened to take away that thing he had leaned on throughout his life. That thing that had been his escape from a troubled home. That had gotten him to work when his hands hurt so much that he could barely make a fist. That thing that had given him something to look forward to after yet another round of chemo. This time... Steve had to face the possibility of never riding again. I took a dumb turn on a mountain bike trail, and I've, it snapped my leg in half, snapped my knee in half, and then it snapped my leg in half, and I laid there for two, three and a half hours, I think, in the bushes waiting for rescue to come get me. Twelve guys carried me. It was twelve guys. There were six at a time carrying me, and they were switching out with the other six guys, so they carried me out for two miles and then put me on a this little four-wheeler and then t brought me to over to an ambulance and then put me in the hospital. I was in the hospital for six days, I think. My leg was so swelled up and that they couldn't operate on it right away. So they drilled two screws into my thigh and then two screws into my ankle and it, they bridge it with this bar. It looks almost like a bicycle pump thing and that stabilizes it. That was on there for a month. I had to go once a week for a whole month to see if the swelling went down far enough to operate. Well, it didn't. So I think a month and a week into it, they finally said, we got to operate because it's, it's healing. So they took me in and broke my leg again. 
and they put a 12-inch bar and 11 screws into my leg to fix it and told me that I will never ride a bicycle again. <laughs> that right there was my fire, right there. When they told me that, that that's over with, I gave them some choice words and told them, you don't effing know me. I don't know how you could tell me that. You don't know me like that. I just did 12 rounds of chemo and they told me I was going to die from it and I didn't. So you guys can't tell me that my favorite thing to do in life is over with. Steve did months of physical therapy. They took rolling pins to his legs. They attempted to knock his ankle back into place. And it was tough, nearly impossible. He says he cried every day. But he improved. His doctors didn't think it was possible, but his legs started to heal. He could walk again. And then one day, his wife suggested he try getting on their stationary bike. I'm like, no, that's just setting myself up for disappointment. She goes, try it. I got on there and I got video of it, of my wife taking me and I pedaled it for maybe two minutes, you know, and I was like, I could ride a bike again. I guarantee I'm gonna be able to ride a bike again. Two days later, I rode my mountain bike around my block two times. And I remember that day, I got it on video too. I came home and I was crying like a baby. And I called my mom and I called my dad and I told them both, I just rode my bike around the block three times or whatever, two times. The next day I did it seven times. And then I think two weeks later I did seven miles and then I did a 20 mile and then I did a 30 mile and then I did a 75 mile and I've done 6,500 miles since they told me that I would probably never ride a bike again. Steve's 50 now. He still has good days, bad days, but he's cancer free. And despite what his doctors predicted, he's not in a wheelchair. His arthritis isn't ever going to go away, but he's managing the pain by riding his bike and by taking the occasional ibuprofen. His life feels almost normal. I consider myself a warrior, so you know, when you know, if my friends are gonna ride 30 miles, I'm riding with them. My friends are gonna ride 40 miles, I'm gonna ride with them. I'm probably gonna ride a little bit faster than them. I have that spirit, you know what I mean? If, if somebody wants to ride 27, I wanna ride 28, you know? That's just the way I'm built. My nephew told me about Strava and it took it to another level. It was like, now there's records out here for me to break. There's routes for me to follow. That's how I really got back into the biking was that Strava really pushed me and really gave me something to shoot for. I like to show people that it's, you don't have to take it, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, not just a diagnosis from the doctors or whatever, it's anything. If you don't have to take what people tell you, you could listen to what they say, but you don't have to take it. You know, there's there's always tomorrow and there's there's always some other way to fix something, you know what I mean? If they tell you you can't do one thing, find something else that makes you happy. I'm just lucky that the thing I love, I could still do. I'm Hillary Allen, and this has been Athletes Unfiltered, a podcast by Strava. As always, we want to hear your stories of perseverance and how running, riding, swimming, climbing, or whatever your sport of choice might be, how it's helped you push through hard times. You can email them to us at podcast.strava.com. Thanks so much to our guests this week, Rebecca Ratto, Austin Reba, and Steve Johnson for reminding us that we are bigger than the problems we face in our lives and that something as simple as a ride or a run, it can inspire us 
bring us joy, and make us feel free. You can subscribe to Athletes Unfiltered in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen. If you like the show, please be sure to leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us to promote the show and help us find new listeners. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with more inspiring stories told by the runners and cyclists who live them. <laughs>